0: Hey, everybody, it is Tuesday, January 30th. Jill, it's National Croissant Day, the internet tells me. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Wanunu.
1: Love a good croissant. I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: I think the French call it croissant. croissant. <laughs> this is the place where we read all the news, attempt French pronunciations, and read between the lines so you don't have to. No,
1: I don't even attempt the French pronunciation. I'm just going <laughs> with the American.
0: Les le croissants. <laughs> Anyway, happy croissant day uh, here in America. Apparently, Burger King, some other restaurants have like deals going for croissant day. So, if you're a croissant fan, which by the way, I learned we did a, a baking class in uh, Paris a couple of years ago, requires a lot of butter to make a croissant. That's why they taste so good.
1: I was gonna say, is that surprising? They're the most delicious. Oh, they're <laughs> right delicious.
0: But if you ever go to a Parisian baking class, which I recommend, if you ever go to Paris, if you ever go to France, like take a baking class and like do a proper thing there. It's a lot of fun teachers are like you know you'll find like these very French teachers etc I just I knew butter would be involved I think I was just shocked at the amount of butter that is required to make a proper flaky soft French croissant
1: note to self cut down on croissants <laughs> got it <laughs>
0: But treat yourself because it's natural croissant day. Speaking of special days, Jill, I know you had a fun day at your daughter's kindergarten yesterday. I did. So I
1: went to my daughter's school on Monday to talk to her class about my job being a journalist. I made a mock newscast and showed some clips from our podcast. And then I was able to interview some of the kids. I was trying to think, what would be a fun interactive thing to do as a news reporter or as a journalist? Like doctors go in and they bring the stethoscope, you know. So I, I was trying to think what what could I do that would resonate with five and six year olds. I have to say it was a ton of fun. They had great questions, and Moshe, I even recorded a special ending for this podcast with the kids so everyone make sure you listen to the very end
0: yeah for those of you who don't listen till the end jill's daughter alex is featured at the end of every podcast and today we have a special goodbye from i guess the entire class
1: you'll have to find out there you go Okay, with that, let's get to the headlines here. The Biden administration weighing its response to Iran after three U.S. troops were killed in Jordan. More details about how many U.N. staff members were allegedly involved in Hamas's attack on October 7th as more countries pause funding for the agency. And it is looking like Hamas will reject that new deal we mentioned yesterday that would pause fighting for at least two months in exchange for the release of all the remaining hostages. Back here in the United States, a judge denying Alec Murdoch a new trial based on allegations of jury tampering. Hate crimes in school. There is a new federal report that shows the numbers are growing. An ex-IRS contractor who leaked Donald Trump's tax records sentenced To years behind bars in tech news Microsoft says that it closed a loophole in its AI image generator that could create explicit images of celebrities like Taylor Swift and in Royal News King Charles and Princess Kate are both out of the hospital after having separate procedures And a new list on the best and worst states to be single in.
0: A clue here, it turns out that the happiest place on earth is also a pretty good place to be if you're single.
1: Plus, Mosh has on this day in history.
0: Jill, we take you back to San Francisco in the 1800s on this day. It got its name.
1: Okay, let's start in the Middle East, where the White House says President Biden is working through military response options After he vowed to retaliate for the drone attack that killed three Army Reserve soldiers on Sunday, the U.S. says the troops were killed by, quote, radical Iran-backed militant groups operating in Syria and Iraq. And an investigation has now been launched into the incident. The three Americans that were killed were the first known American military fatalities from hostile fire since Iran-backed groups started attacks in the fall as Israel invaded Gaza. Beyond the three that were killed, at least 40 troops were injured as well at the base in northeastern Jordan, and the number will probably grow as additional troops come forward with symptoms of brain trauma from the blast. The Pentagon released the names of the three soldiers who were killed. They are 46-year-old Sergeant William Jerome Rivers, 24-year-old Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and 23-year-old Specialist Brianna Moffitt. They are all from Georgia. Meanwhile, Iran claiming Monday that despite what the U.S. says that they are not behind the drone strike, a foreign ministry spokesperson saying, quote, regional resistance factions do not receive orders from Iran and Iran does not interfere in the decisions of the resistance to support Palestine or defend itself. However, U.S. intelligence sources say otherwise. The Pentagon on Monday once again blaming this attack on an Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps-backed militia. And they say Iran arms and equips these groups to launch attacks. There have been more than 160 attacks on U.S. bases in the last three months.
0: Yeah, ultimately here, Iran is calling the shots, that's what the U.S. says. uh, And that's become evident over the course of the past few months, regardless of what they're telling state media over there clearly they don't want to see a counter strike from the u.s in the meantime the pentagon has launched an investigation to figure out how the drone was able to successfully get onto the base and conduct the attack over the uh, barracks there preliminarily it appears that air defenses failed to stop the attack because of a confusion over drones you see at the same time that this enemy drone was heading over the base there was an american drone returning to the base apparently the return of the american surveillance drone to this base caused confusion over whether the drone was friendly or not. Air defenses were not immediately engaged. And that is how the attack took place here. At the same time, apparently there were two other enemy drones sent over bases in nearby Syria that were shot down. They were ID'd as enemy drones. So clearly they're looking further into that. But now we get to the response. We have three dead Americans, dozens injured. The question right now, what does President Biden do to ensure Iran learns it cannot continue to sponsor these types of attacks through its proxy groups, but at the same time, not counterattack in a way that leads to regional war. Here's a bit of what the national security spokesperson, John Kirby, said at the White House yesterday. We're not seeking a conflict
1: with the regime in a military way. Um, And as I said in the the opening, we're not uh, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it, and it requires a response. Make no mistake about that. We do not seek another war. We do not seek to escalate. But we will absolutely do what is required to protect ourselves, to continue that mission, and to respond appropriately to these attacks. With his national security team yesterday and today, he's weighing the options before him. As he said yesterday, we will respond. We'll do that on our schedule. In our time, and we'll do it in the manner of the president's choosing as commander in chief.
0: So, there's a number of options they have here. I thought the New York Times did a good job of laying out what the U.S. could be doing. And by the way, by the time we wake up in the morning, we're recording this late on Monday, uh, some of this could have taken place already. But here are options. And we should note not all of it might happen immediately, it might happen over the course of days, weeks, or months. So, Biden could order continuing strikes on proxy forces, these smaller Iranian-backed terror groups in the region. This is the game of whack-a-mole. The U.S. has been playing in Syria, Iraq, Yemen. It has put a small dent in some of these groups, but clearly has failed to deter them, given that the attacks continue. Another option for President Biden, he could go after Iranian suppliers of drones and missiles, perhaps inside Iranian territory. Now, that poses a higher risk. That could cross a red line here for Iran if the U.S. strikes inside Iran. But keep in mind here, three Americans are dead, and Biden wants to send a message. He also, as part of this, whether in the region, inside Iran, out at sea, could target members of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. This is the elite fighting force uh, of the Iranians that's involved in its various attacks across the region. Many of them are based in Syria and Iraq. Depending, though, on who they target there, remember, Trump took out Soleimani, the leader there, and there was no real uh, counter from Iran there, but there's always the risk that hitting certain IRGC uh, leaders, etc., could accelerate a war, could instigate more conflict, could lead Iran to announce it's expanding its nuclear program, something that we're concerned about. Then, of course, there are options in between all of that, a combination of those options. And one of the things the U.S. could do is basically say, listen, Iran, we're going to respond. And you're going to absorb the hit, and you're not going to escalate this. But you understand what you've done here, and you understand that we have to counterattack. And they could send that message through. That appears to be sort of what happened with Trump and Iran in 2020 with the killing of Soleimani, because again, there was no real response from the Iranians. They sort of just lobbed some missiles at a base and didn't end up killing any Americans in response to this guy who was considered basically a you know elite, highly esteemed. Uh, military leader at least among the uh, islamic regime there so we sit here biden has to respond for both domestic reasons and foreign reasons but doesn't want to cause an all-out war in the middle east this will have to be calibrated in a way to send a message to iran without tripping a wire here that iran you've been messing around for a while now dozens of these attacks killing american soldiers is unacceptable is at another level we need to figure out as the u.s how to deter this Because until now, it appears the military strategy has not been effective in getting Iran to stop here. Uh, Early on, of course, the U.S. sent a bunch of major ships out there to prevent Hezbollah from getting involved in the war with Israel. That part appeared to be successful. Remember, Hezbollah also armed and sponsored by the Iranians. But now with the killing of three Americans, three American reservists from Georgia, ultimately, Biden will have to calibrate a, a response here that somehow falls into the middle. It's sort of, you know, Jill, to put it economic terms, we talked about a soft landing for the Fed, right? They have to figure out how to bring down inflation without taking us into recession. Here, Biden has to figure out how to respond (laughs) effectively without putting us into all-out war.
1: (laughs) A different kind of soft landing, so to speak. A soft war. Get us out of this without causing World War III. I'm just curious, is there any way in which this attack was actually done without Iran knowing
0: I don't know the communication patterns between, you know, these smaller groups across Iraq and Syria and Iranian command. That said, Jill, I mean, the IRGC is so embedded everywhere. Since this hit northeastern Jordan on the border of Syria and Iraq, Do you know, who's like fully embedded in Iraq and Syria? Iranian military leaders. Now, one of them could have been asleep and a younger guy is like, I'm going to launch a drone on this U.S. base. Let's
1: just see how this goes. Right.
0: We have no idea. You know, like ultimately, one would hope the CIA, the DIA, all our various intelligence arms have figured out how far this goes up, who gave the order, whether Iran anticipated this, whether there's a back channel from Iran right now being like, yo, America, we did not intend this. This was a guy on the joystick operating the drone. We didn't mean to do this. You know, there's a lot here. And, you know, any of you who watch Homeland or all these various shows no, there's a lot that we're not we're never going to know here. But ultimately, regardless of who did it, these are weapons given to these groups by iran so ultimately whether iran gave the order for this specific attack is not important because this attack couldn't have happened without iranian support training and weapons so i think that's the bottom line here and more significantly again the u.s uh, has to showcase its deterrence that's a big thing in this part of the world and uh the clock is ticking Okay,
1: staying in the Middle East, we are learning some new details on what led the UN Palestinian Refugee Agency to fire at least a dozen employees for involvement in terrorism and the scope of just how many people may have been connected to Hamas. At least 12 employees of the UN's Palestinian refugee agency called UNRWA had connections to Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, but about 10% of all of its staff in Gaza have ties to various Islamic militant groups. This is according to intelligence reports reviewed by The Wall Street Journal. Six United Nations Relief and Works Agency workers were part of the wave of Palestinian terrorists who killed 1,200 people and kidnapped more than 200 others. According to the report, two of the U.N. workers actually were involved in kidnapping Israelis. Two others were tracked to sites where scores of Israeli civilians were shot and killed. Others coordinated logistics for the assault, including procuring weapons Seven of the UNRWA workers were primary or secondary school teachers, including two math teachers, two Arabic language teachers, and one primary school teacher. Intelligence estimates shared with the U.S. conclude that around 1,200 of UNRWA's roughly 12,000 employees in Gaza have links to Hamas or Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and about half, 50 percent, have close relatives who belong to the Islamist militant groups The U.N. agency, also the main pillar of operations to move food, aid, medicine and other humanitarian supplies into Gaza. The information in the intelligence reports based on cell phone tracking data, interrogations of captured Hamas fighters and documents recovered from dead militants were part of a briefing given by Israel to U.S. officials that led Washington and others to suspend aid to UNRWA.
0: Yes, this is an Israeli intel report with a lot of corroborated information, so much corroborated information that has now led 15 countries at least as of this taping uh, to cut or suspend funding to UNRWA right now. The U.S., as you mentioned, U.K., a dozen other countries, Japan, Romania, Italy, Germany, Finland, Switzerland, who are all like, we're pausing this until you guys figure out at the U.N. what is going on with your employees. On Sunday, the U.N. Secretary General said he was personally horrified by the allegations. At the same time, the U.N. is saying, please don't cut aid right now. We really need it. Uh, We are dealing with all of this. But it comes as you know, a number of countries, including the EU Commission, has said, figure out what's going on because we want to be able to trust that the aid that we're giving you guys, which, by the way, is hundreds of millions of dollars, the annual budget of UN uh, RWA, UNRWA, UNRWA, uh, is more than a billion dollars annually. They want to ensure that that is going to the right people. So a third of their budget comes from the U.S., nearly two-thirds now total, including the U.S., is now frozen uh, because of all the countries that have suspended aid here. And for critics of the agency, this is a long time in coming. Remember, the U.S. cut off funding uh, during the Trump administration to UNRWA because of their connections to Hamas, because of various allegations. When Biden came back into office, he opened up funding again. The U.S. has given about a billion to the organization over the last three years since President Biden was elected. Keep in mind, UNRWA's biggest operation is in Gaza. That's where uh, it looks after about 80% of the population. Hamas, despite running Gaza, is like, we don't deal with helping people. We just do our own thing. UN takes care of the population. And that's what UNRWA does there. Though total UNRWA also operates in Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, everywhere, where there's a Palestinian refugee, about 5 million of them now. Because they have special rules for Palestinian refugees that are different from all other refugees. Uh, These are rules that were passed by the UN. The Arab countries pushed through that basically determines that even if your great-grandfather was a refugee, you're still a refugee. Those are unique rules they have for Palestinians um, in the UN versus other refugees globally. So that is what has meant UNRWA has grown over time. 30,000 employees globally, more than a billion dollars. This report, by the way, we should note, notes that 23%, one out of four male employees of UNRWA had ties to Hamas. That is much more than the average population in Gaza. And as you noted, Jill, 50% had close relatives in Hamas or other groups. Jill, and just to repeat, the UN Mm -hmm. here says, officially they're very concerned about this, but that at this time, when so many uh, Palestinians are now dependent on their aid, they're trying to figure out a, a different path here that doesn't entail the phrasing of aid because they're very concerned that this could lead them to not be able to operate within a few weeks.
1: More than 40 percent of schools, by the way, in Gaza are run by UNRWA. And I was listening to a report in the Times of Israel in which they were saying that so many of these schools have military equipment in them. That's where that they were finding guns and, and weapons. I think this is just something to keep in mind when you hear reports about, for example, a school. That is being targeted or being destroyed. This is part of the challenge right now uh, for Israel is that Hamas is so embedded in the society and in the culture and even a U.N. school, which at face value would seem to be a no go zone for Israel to attack or for, you know, militants to use as a as a base you know, this is the this is the problem.
0: Yeah, in many cases, you don't have a choice. You know, we did a podcast back in November with Khalil Sayeg, an activist who was born in Gaza, raised in Gaza, who talks about how he had friends and family who, you know, literally would wake up one morning and hear construction noise under their home and then find out that Hamas is building tunnels on their house, and they go to Hamas being like, Please stop doing this, you're making my house a target. And Hamas is like, Tough. That's what we do here. So, you know, ultimately that also includes the schools, et cetera. We've discussed this before. But this report is uh, shining a light on a bit of that.
1: Meanwhile, Hamas on Monday evening appeared to reject a new framework for a hostage deal that had been agreed to by Israel, saying that it would not accept any agreement that did not include an end to the war and the withdrawal of all Israeli troops from Gaza. The terror group issuing a statement insisting that Israel must halt its, quote, aggression and pull out of Gaza before any exchange deal takes place. A senior Hamas official added that the terror group wants a complete and comprehensive ceasefire in Gaza. And that came after multiple reports earlier on Monday that Israeli negotiators in Paris had agreed Sunday to a framework proposal for a hostage release deal. The draft offered a meeting with Egypt, U.S., and Qatar was presented Monday to Hamas It is not clear if the Hamas statement was a rejection of the deal or just a general statement and a point where negotiations will continue.
0: Yeah, we have to figure out over the next day or two whether this is crossed wires or uh, an actual rejection. We'll see the U.S. officials on Monday said, you know, it's not imminent, but we're hopefully getting close to a deal here. This is a deal that we've told you about for a couple shows now, 30 to 60 days, probably more like 60 days. They would eventually see all Israeli hostages released, starting with women, children, the elderly and the sick. Then phased pauses in the war against Hamas as this process plays out in exchange for more humanitarian aid and then potentially thousands of Palestinians currently being held uh, in Israeli prisons.
1: All right, plenty of news ahead. But first, a quick word from our sponsor this week, Factor Meals. We are definitely pressed for time in my house and still want to eat healthy and nutritious. So that is why we are so excited about Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef prepared dietitian dietician-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. I have been loving them lately. I grab them from the fridge. I heat them up, and they are legit delicious. They are not like frozen grocery store dinners or lunches. I've been eating them for lunch, and I feel... Mosh, like luxurious, eating like this warm, delicious lunch when normally I'm just grabbing what's ever in my pantry. Um, Plus, you get to skip the extra trip to the grocery store and all the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up While still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need, Factor is fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you've got to do is heat and enjoy. You can choose from over 35 weekly meals. It's flexible for your schedule. Get as many or as few as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And they've got cold pressed juices, which I absolutely love. Shakes and smoothies ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. Head over to factormeals.com slash monews50 and use the code monews5050 to get 50% off. That is code monews50 at factormeals.com slash monews5050 and get 50%
0: off. All right, as we head into warmer weather across much of the U.S. in the coming months, one way to stay cool and continue to get a good night's sleep is by checking out Bull & Branch Bedding & Sheets. They're a brand that we love here at Monews. We only endorse products that we love. And we've been using Bowling Branch for more than two years now in our home. The sheets have been great, soft, breathable fabric that works for both cold and warm weather. We noticed the quality immediately and have gotten a few different sets in our house. I know Jill has as well. They're made with 100% organic cotton, completely free from toxins. I know that is very important to a number of you. And it's not just sheets. They have blankets, duvets, pillows, a whole variety of products to ensure you get a good night's sleep. And right now, they have a great deal for the Mo News community. Go check them out. I promise you will not be disappointed. Again, they get softer with every wash. So the deal right now is 15% off your order when you use the promo code Mo News over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code Mo News for 15% off. Exclusions do apply. See site for details.
1: Time now for the speed read from NBC News. A judge Monday denied convicted murderer Alec Murdoch of a new trial. It followed a day-long evidentiary hearing that censored on allegations that a court clerk had tampered with the jury and tainted the process. The judge made the ruling after hearing testimony from all 12 jurors in Murdoch's trial and also the county clerk of court, Rebecca Hill, The judge said Murdoch had to show that the clerk made an improper comment and that it influenced the jury in order to get that new trial. So the judge found that even though Hill is, quote, not completely credible as a witness and was lured by the, quote, siren call of celebrity, still the jurors were not influenced by her actions. Hill wrote a book about the case. She denied in her testimony that she tampered with the jury for financial gain or any other reason. She told the judge, it didn't matter to me if it was guilty, not guilty, or mistrial. But Rhonda McAlvine, a court clerk at a different county who helped during the trial, gave testimony that conflicted with Hill's, saying that Hill made a comment that a guilty verdict would be better to sell books. Hill's book, Behind the Doors of Justice, no longer being sold after it was revealed that she plagiarized a passage in it from a BBC
0: this, News article. This, so- this county clerk <laughs> fe- appears to be pretty problematic. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, the book only uh, sold $100,000 worth of copies.
1: Worst book deal ever.
0: Yeah, so a lot of trouble here, but not so much that the judge determined that there should be a new trial here or that she uh, influenced the jury. A reminder here, we covered this extensively last year. Murdoch was a once prominent personal injury lawyer from a prominent family who was found guilty in the 2021 killing of his wife and son on their estate. As part of this hearing, the focus was on the former jury's testimonies. uh, To determine here whether a new trial should be granted, the judge individually questioned each of the 12 jurors about whether Hill influenced the guilty verdict. On Monday, all of the jurors except for one denied that the communications weighed into their unanimous decision. That one other juror, referred to as Juror Z, initially said in an affidavit in August that... Hill told the jury not to be fooled by Murdoch, which that juror understood to mean that Murdoch would lie when he testified. But ultimately, uh, the juror in the most recent round uh, said they had questions about Murdoch's guilt but voted guilty because of pressure from other jurors. Nothing to do with what the clerk told them. So the judge here ultimately deciding again, not worthy of a new trial. Regardless of what happens here, by the way, he would remain in prison. He was sentenced to 27 years after pleading guilty to 22 counts of financial crimes against his clients. That time runs concurrently with the murder sentencing. So even if they had a new trial and even if he was found not guilty, he's still in prison for a couple decades here.
1: From CNN, in its first of its kind report released Monday, the Department of Justice found hate crimes at schools have steadily risen from 2018 And schools were the third most common location for reported hate crimes to occur in the U.S. About 1,300 hate crimes were reported in elementary schools, secondary schools, and colleges in 2022. That is up from 700 in 2018, an increase of about 90%. While the most common place for a victim to experience a hate crime is on the street or in a home during that time, 10 percent of hate crimes happened at school locations in 2022, the final year for which the data was analyzed. We still do not have data yet for 2023. And given the huge jump in overall hate crimes, uh, it's logical to expect that hate crimes at schools would increase even further So the largest number of alleged offenses were being motivated by anti-Black bias, with about 1,700 reported hate crime offenses involving this bias type during the observed five years, followed by anti-Jewish offenses, about 750 incidents, and then anti-lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, with about 350 offenses. The FBI saying that the most frequently reported offenses were intimidation, destruction, damage, or vandalism and simple assault.
0: So this is the first time the FBI and the Department of Justice are putting out a comprehensive look at hate crime at school. It was created with data from their national incident reporting uh, system that was implemented just a couple of years ago here. And so it's not clear yet whether they're gonna be putting out more of these reports, they say. We will certainly be on the lookout for it and see if there's more comprehensive data that comes out, uh, as you know, to Jill from last year, but certainly concerning to see this rise among kids.
1: Yeah, Mosh, this really caught my eye because, number one, schools should be safe places for students. Uh, the last place, in fact, that they should be victims of any type of hate crime or bullying. Any crime. But I have noticed in the past couple of months, as a reporter on Long Island anyway, getting press releases and just hearing anecdotally about swastikas being put in schools, middle, not just high schools, middle schools as well uh, across Long Island. And anytime I post about it, I hear from people all over the country who say that they're experiencing the same thing. And that's just horrible, really, for students to feel so unsafe. And just this idea that kids, kids are now perpetrating these hate crimes. Where are they learning this from? Social media. Right. But now the question, uh, what to do about it? Yeah. You know, that's that's the bigger issue, unfortunately.
0: More education at schools.
1: Okay, from NBC News, the former IRS contractor who leaked the tax records of former President Trump to The New York Times, as well as the tax records of billionaires like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to another media outlet, sentenced Monday to five years in prison. Charles Littlejohn pleaded guilty in October. And prosecutors sought the statutory maximum of five years in federal prison, saying that he abused his position by unlawfully disclosing thousands of Americans' federal tax returns and other private financial information to multiple news organizations. Prosecutors say that he weaponized his access to unmasked taxpayer data to further his own personal political agenda, believing that he was above the law. The judge comparing his actions to other recent attacks and threats against elected officials, as well as to the January 6th defendants that she has recently sentenced. She describes his actions as a deliberate, complex, multi-year criminal scheme, but said she believed that he, quote, sincerely felt a moral imperative to act as he did.
0: Yeah. So the attorney for Little John, by the way, can we just note the name here? (laughs) Little John. Uh, Little John, last name, one word, argued that he had committed the offense out of a deep moral belief that the American people had a right to know The information of how all these rich people were able to use various loopholes to get around paying uh, the full tax amount. Uh, He ended up disclosing the tax returns of 7,600 individuals, 600 entities, a whole bunch of people. You mentioned a couple of them, Bill Gates, you know, a lot of rich people, a lot of Republicans. And he addressed the court. Uh, By the way, he's 38 years old. He'll be serving five years in prison, saying he acted out of a sincere but, quote, misguided belief that he was serving the public here. Apparently he figured out a way to get the information on the IRS because the IRS blocks mass downloads, but he outfitted an old iPod as a hard drive and was able to take people's tax records out individually using an iPod. I have a bunch of iPods sitting around. I, I didn't know that you could still use them for things. So that's what little John did. Little, John, little John's headed to prison here. <laughs> little John,
1: one word. It's not like the rapper. Little, little John. John.
0: Right, right. His, his full name is Charles little john <laughs> and ultimately here they're trying to send a message to people in the IRS that leave your political opinions aside we don't need people thinking that their private financial information no matter how powerful no matter how rich will be able to get out to the public
1: <laughs> little mosh <laughs>
0: little, little mosh is still figuring out how to use his iPod like little john used it to <laughs> download information illegally <laughs>
1: Mosh, if you can't laugh. (laughs) All right, from The Verge and 404 Media, Microsoft closed the loophole in its AI image generator that could create explicit images of celebrities like Taylor Swift. It comes after graphic AI-generated images of Swift became a trending topic on X. 404 Media reported on people creating and trading similar pictures created using Microsoft's designer AI image generator, by altering prompts, they were able to get around simple name blocks. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella said the last week that guardrails are, quote, our responsibility for media reports that they have now closed the loopholes in the app that allows users to create deep fake images of celebs.
0: Yeah, if you ever messed around on these um, AI generators, you could literally just type in someone's name, say, put them here, mm-hmm. have them do this, have mm-hmm. them look this way. And this is one of these things in AI that they haven't, figured out, or they're in the midst of figuring out. But unfortunately, uh, things have to be broken and people have to be hurt in the process before they're figuring this out. The lead engineer uh, for AI over at Microsoft confirmed these changes, saying they're committed to providing a safe and respectful experience for everyone, and they're going to continue to investigate the images, strengthen their safety systems to prevent systems from being abused in the future. But as we know here with the internet, People will figure out a new thing. They'll have to figure out how to block it. That's why, as we told you in yesterday's pod, there's talk about making this a federal crime over in Congress.
1: All right. Some royal news from the UK Telegraph. Kate and Charles both discharged from a London Hospital Monday after undergoing different procedures. King Charles III on Monday discharged from a private London clinic after undergoing a corrective procedure for an enlarged prostate the 75-year-old monarch was admitted to the London Clinic, where the Princess of Wales, his daughter-in-law, also recently had abdominal surgery. Charles was diagnosed with the benign condition on January 17th after he experienced undisclosed symptoms. The king decided to announce the surgery in advance in an effort to encourage other men to have their prostate checked in line with public health advice.
0: Quite the coordination here between Charles and his uh, daughter-in-law. They announced that each of them were having very different procedures on the same day. They exit on the same day. Quite the coordination from Buckingham Palace here. He's been very open about what he had. The Princess of Wales, we haven't learned as much. We know that she's been in the hospital for a couple of weeks. They have said it was abdominal surgery. They haven't gone to detail besides to say that it wasn't cancerous. Uh, But they said she's making good progress but she will not be doing any major public engagements until after Easter.
1: And finally, from WalletHub, single and ready to mingle. Well, a new analysis says some states are better suited for those looking for love. As Valentine's Day is quickly approaching, WalletHub has released its ranking of 2024's best and worst states for singles. The analysis considered 29 factors of dating friendliness, things like the number of single adults, the male to female ratio, average cost to go out and nearby attractions, and with that found Florida to be the most single-friendly state. The Sunshine State stood apart for having the most theme parks, restaurants, and music festivals of any state per capita. According to the study, people in Florida often search Google for the names of top dating websites like Tinder, Match.com, and eHarmony. This also includes searching general terms like dating and online dating.
0: I love that theme parks is a uh, item here. So you really need to be into Disney and Busch Gardens. If you're not, I don't know, does Florida still top the list for you as a single?
1: I thought the same because for me, the amount of theme parks. (laughs) Have you (laughs) ever gone on a
0: day to, listen, I'm not dismissing going on a day to a theme park. I just like find it interesting that they included that as as a, as that wallet hub here made that part of their calculation for most single friendly places.
1: It almost feels like it should be a factor not being single friendly like that's where families would go families go yeah
0: yeah we should do the mo news single friendly state by state chart jill we'll get working on that
1: okay the worst by the way west virginia which ranked low when it came to online dating opportunities and household income now back to the top states after florida next on the list is texas thanks to its huge population about 30 million people call the state home
0: Yeah, Texas also scored high points for its employment growth, the good economy. Plus, again, they look at Texas residents' search history, willingness to date online, looking for dating. And of course, Jill, I'm going to go there. Everything is bigger in Texas.
1: (laughs) That's what she said.
0: Oh, that was second. (laughs) California is third uh, for singles here. It's obviously the most populous state in the country. It has a lot of attractions. You know, it has Disneyland, Jill, so that's a big deal for Wallet Hub here in terms of single-friendly places. All right, so you have Florida, Texas, California, and then fourth place, New York, followed by this is the rest of the top 10 here. New York is four. Pennsylvania, Illinois, Wisconsin, Ohio, Virginia, and New Jersey is your top 10. Worst states to be single, you already said West Virginia. The worst, according to the study, uh, also in the bottom five, Kentucky, Alaska, Arkansas, and North Dakota, based on their numbers. We'll include the link for everyone to uh, take a look at in the show notes here. Uh, We'll also have it in today's newsletter. But uh, I, I feel like they come up with these studies all the time, best cities, worst cities. Everyone uses different data. Feel free to agree or disagree or take issue with our analysis. But there you have it. All right, now time for On This Day in History. We begin in 1847, on the day San Francisco got its name. It was a small town on a peninsula. It was actually called Yerba Buena. Until 1847, meaning the good herb, which is actually kind of interesting, Jill, given how it became synonymous with marijuana and weed years later. San Francisco literally was once known as the good herb.
1: By the way, I like the original name. I feel like they should have kept it.
0: So it was Yerba Buena uh, after the native mint that grew there uh, to make tea. But then, of course, uh, there were the Franciscans had the mission of San Francisco there as part of the uh, mission to convert people to Christianity, convert the natives. They changed the name of the bay. Uh, one of the bays there, to San Francisco. And so then basically the city then took on the name of the bay. All right, we move now to the 20th century. On this day in 1948, Indian leader Mahatma Gandhi, considered the father of uh, the modern country and known for his nonviolent protest, was assassinated on this day by a Hindu extremist who objected to his tolerance of Muslims. Also on this day in history, Ireland's Bloody Sunday took place in a dairy in northern ireland that's when british paratroopers opened fire on roman catholic civil rights supporters killing 13 injuring 15 others it's considered one of the darkest days of what was called the troubles in northern ireland the protestant catholic conflict that lasted for several decades there cost the lives of more than thirty-five hundred people of course many people uh, might be familiar with the u2 song sunday bloody sunday all right to slightly lighter news here on this day in 1969 the beatles staged an impromptu concert Atop Apple headquarters, their label, in London, it would be their last public performance. And in technology news that you never often think about, but you often use, the first moving walkway was installed today, 66 years ago, at Dallas Love Field, uh, the airport there in Dallas. They called it the Glide Ride.
1: I happen to also prefer that name, the glide ride. The glide ride. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Moving walkway. What happened to glide ride? I think that was a great name for it. Let's bring it back. Loser.
1: I mean like a moving walkway. <laughs>
0: moving yeah, like too literal. Too literal. Let's go back to glide ride. I now in the in the airport will be like, why aren't we taking the glide ride to gate eight B?
1: If it was called the glide ride, who wouldn't take it?
0: Right. You're like, let's get on the glide ride. (laughs) So sometimes some people are standing on the glide ride and they were not moving their suitcase. And so you can actually move faster walking uh, with your suitcase aside the glide ride. Speaking of uh, glide ride, the song Nothing Gonna Stop Us Now by Starship came out on this day 34 years ago, as I note this annually. It is the wedding song, our first dance song that uh, Alex and I chose. And finally, on this day in history, 25 years ago, Dr. Dre and Eminem told us not to forget about Dre.
1: And we haven't.
0: And we haven't. (laughs) Speaking of people we shouldn't forget about, I see we have a special visitor who's made an appearance here for the end of the pod. Hi, Alex. Hi, (laughs) Mo. How are you doing? Your timing is impeccable, is perfect, because we're just about to play the surprise that you and the class put together today.
1: Did you have fun with mommy coming <laughs> into your school today? Yes. And who is about to say thank you for listening to the Mo News podcast? Me. No, your class, Me right? My class. So. <laughs> Me and my class. All
0: right, here we oh go. Oh my God, I can't wait.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mo
0: News podcast. Good night. Jill, that's amazing. Do we have permission to use it on the podcast in the future or is we're going to just do this one time Mosh, you've got
1: permission to use uh, as often as you like
0: <laughs> thanks everybody we we love our uh, five and six year old fan base we're, we're really trying to get into generation alpha here
1: Mosh, they are the future um and with that thank you everyone for listening to the mo news podcast um we really appreciate it write us a review tell your friends about us it all helps
0: Yeah, tell your kindergartner about us. We're (laughs) we're getting big among them.
1: Everyone's looking for the 25 to 45 demographic. I want the 5 to 10 demographic. That's what I'm looking for.
0: I understand we could get Sephora as a sponsor. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, All right, bye everyone. Bye, Mo.
0: Bye, Alex. Have a good night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Mo News
0: Podcast.